the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized him by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is mightier, more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So what's the world preparing for? My eyes and ears tell me that the world, or at least our United States, must be preparing for a record-setting shopping spree. I mean, retailers had Christmas decorations out around or before Halloween. How many of you got Christmas candy in your trick-or-treat bags? Any of you? Wouldn't surprise me. And endless advertisements weren't far behind, were they? Toys and technology and vehicles, and then came the Hallmark movies. But I'm still holding out all that stuff. I'm waiting for that classic Clydesdales to come prancing through the winter wonderland. Christmas is really close then, isn't it? <laughs> but there are other preparations besides simple consumerism, aren't there? What are you preparing for? What are you preparing for? Family gatherings? Feasting and socializing with friends at work in your neighborhood or community? Gifts galore to give and receive. Maybe restful travels just to escape work and chores at home or schoolwork or to return home from college. Maybe you're preparing for the next senior pastor. Maybe you're preparing for Christmas Eve worship. The ushers today, um, to help you prepare and help our community prepare, um, have little business cards with all the worship schedule on there and a QR code on the back. Take some. Give them away to your friends. Invite them to St. John's as a part of their preparation for celebrating Christmas. Preparations. We're always preparing for something, aren't we? We have calendars, events. I mean, Google even gives me alerts for when I've got something coming up. And we look for those, and we rush to tie up loose ends. We rush to be ready for those things. And sometimes there's eager anticipation for some, and others there's 
anxious preparation waiting for that event to happen. We see seasonal preparations everywhere we go these days. They're all around us in this place. Mind you, there's nothing wrong with all these preparations, whether it's shopping or gathering or celebrating or anything. I'm preparing in those ways too, and it's so much fun. It adds to the the energy of the season for sure. But what is it our preparations say about who we are? What do our preparations say about who we're preparing for or what we're preparing for? Advent, I think, calls us to keep our focus in these preparations. Although retailers are doing their best to encourage us to help them end the year in the black, and social gatherings are are fun and terrific, but you and I, as followers of Jesus, we're called to focus on other preparations, aren't we? These are preparations, I think, that point us beyond simply the preparation itself. They point us toward a symbolism that's deeper than those items themselves or a content with a deeper meaning. For example, all the the beautiful nativity sets, and by the way, it's worth going up in the balcony if you never go up there to see that nativity set. But the nativity sets that are out and around, the Christmas tree, the wreaths, so many other seasonal decorations point us to Jesus. And I want to give a shout out and thanks to all those on the decorating team that spent so many hours putting all this together and we'll spend time putting it away for next year. The seasonal music's being prepared as well. Worship services, the men's chorus concert this afternoon. So thanks for all those musicians, band, singers, Rob, the chorus and choir, Janie, Kim, and Carol, and Andrea, and Michael, and so many others that prepare to proclaim and prepare us for celebrating Christ's birth with words that are steeped, some of them centuries of meaning. Many of us have enjoyed the entertaining witness to the birth and message of Jesus at the CDC program or the kindergarten this week or Kingdom Kids last Wednesday or the kids in Sunday school this morning when the Grinch showed up to uh, celebrate their good deeds and sharing the love of Christ. So what do our preparations say about us and who we're preparing for? Every day, the news media inundates us with a variety of heart-rending divisive, sometimes violent situations in our community, nation, and world. The words of preparation that Mark cites from Isaiah and Malachi today and John, they are written and proclaimed to traumatized people in their time. And they address our trauma today, I think. Mark and John have a, have a sense of urgency. The messenger prophesied by Isaiah and Malachi has arrived. Immediately, Mark cuts to the chase, doesn't he? The first verse of his gospel says, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark's going to tell us about that Messiah for whom they have been yearning for centuries. 
as they've endured being subjugated by nation after nation after nation and having false messiahs squashed. Their current oppressor, as you know, is Rome. Second, Mark tells us about the preparations for Messiah that began 500 years before with the prophets Malachi and Isaiah, among others. And Mark cites them. He says, see, I'm sending my messenger before ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the third thing that John, that Mark calls out for us with John the baptizer makes it clear that he is not that long-awaited Messiah. He's only that messenger. He says, the one more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. But with all that, people poured out of Jerusalem, didn't they? They poured out, leaving that central location for their worship rituals out to see, to hear this character, John. They may have walked for days in some cases from Jerusalem in the hill country down to the Jordan River. They were desperate people. They were desperate for some good news, for some word of hope. They were desperate for the real Messiah, and they couldn't not go out to this irresistible character that they had heard about, even without social media. They came out because they were living under that crushing oppression by the empire of Rome. They came out because they were smothering under a scandalous religious system that was structured to favor the few and make faithful worship for the common folk a burden. They came out because they were yearning for the promised Messiah. They were seeking freedom, searching for peace and hope in their war-torn, traumatized existence. They desired change. They came out because between John's charisma and his crazy uniqueness, streaming down from Jerusalem, from the other places in Judea, down to the Jordan River to see if this character, John, might be the one, might be what they've yearned for, what they need. They came with hope that God would finally act. John calls us to preparations. He calls us to repent or to change. The Greek word is metanoia, a change of heart, to turn away from whatever the world has on us, to turn toward Jesus rather than giving in to the world or personal whims or being tossed about by public opinion that change all the time. John calls us to repent, to change, to turn toward restoring relationships, connections, not just with God, but with one another. And he knows, he tells us it's not an easy thing to do. The prophets knew, they warned us how hard it is to repent. It's like leveling mountains, filling in valleys, straightening roads through the wilderness. 
and some of us have driven windy mountain roads before there were interstate highways. We've watched and seen pictures how hard and how long it took them to build those better roads through the mountains. But I think that's how hard it is for us to do what John was calling us, to repent, to turn and stay turned toward Jesus. And he knows, John knows that it's impossible for us to alone, to do alone. Notice the last line of his proclamation points us and tells us that he, Jesus, the Messiah, will baptize with the Holy Spirit because we can't do it by ourselves. We need that divine help from outside that's poured into us in the waters of baptism so that we can turn away and we have to do it again and again in life, don't we? We start worship with confession and repentance, turning back, getting reoriented, that divine help so that we can do it again and again as often as needed to be prepared. So where do we want to end up with all these preparations? This time of year, we want to end up figuratively at the manger. We want to end up with Jesus, not just the helpless infant, but Jesus, the Prince of Peace, Jesus, the one who calls us to follow faithfully through life to the cross, sacrificially, lovingly, giving. Jesus calls us to follow. For we want to end up making the love and the teachings of Jesus real in our interactions, in our relationships with one another, with strangers, even with those for whom there's a divide in our relationships. We want to be a part of the movement of Jesus that came to heal and to change the world. So what do we need? Peace. We prepare for peace. We need that in the, in the Holy Land. It's been in the news if you're on Facebook, find Christmas Lutheran Church in Bethlehem and read the prayer that one of their members wrote for today about peace and have a Kleenex at hand. We need peace in Sudan and Ukraine, peace and calm in politics in our nation and other nations. We need peace even between one another in relationships that have been broken. We need peace so those family feasts we don't feel like we've got to sit at the far end of the table to avoid that awkward conversation that we know is going to happen with that person. And it's hard. But we need peace. We need hope. Christ came, the Messiah, to bring hope. Hope for repairing those relationships. Hope for a stable future for our children and grandchildren. Hope for recovery and health and life after death for ourselves and others. Hope that brings an end, finally, to violence and warfare, an end to hatred and animosity. Hope that only faith in Jesus can give to us and to future generations. So as our, as our preparations for Christmas continue, we've got two more weeks. I invite you to ponder this in the week or weeks ahead. What do your preparations say about you? 
For whom or what are you preparing for? What do your preparations say about you? And who are you preparing for? The urgent message of Mark to his time and to our time, the proclamation of John that he retells, were preparing for God's greatest move because the prophets didn't get through to us. God became vulnerable in flesh and blood to walk among us, to prepare us for that arrival, the proclamation leading to the cross of God's mercy and grace available and given freely to all who will listen. The message of Mark and John is to let that spirit given to us turn us outward with love and grace to a world desperately seeking what only Jesus can give, peace, hope, and salvation. If preparing for the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, was urgent in Mark's day, how much more urgent are these preparations in our day? Enjoy the season. Savor the preparations. And above all, stay focused on the call of John the Baptist to repent, to turn toward Christ, the one born with healing in his wings. Amen.